Have you ever heard of the British car company known by the two-letter moniker MG? They built a range of popular sports cars back in the 60s and earlier. You can still find a few of them on the road today. Unfortunately, these vehicles developed a reputation for being unreliable. To the point where gearheads took to joking that the initials MG stood for might go. It was the sort of car that you could spend easily spend more time working on than you spent in the car driving it. Hi, I'm your host, Zach Garver, and welcome to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast for community bank and credit union leaders who are looking for new ways to embrace their account holders and compete with all the changes that are happening in our industry. Now, back to this idea of spending more time working on a thing than you spend using the thing. When it comes to back office systems and data management, I know the same thing can happen. I've seen it firsthand. You spend more time trying to make your various systems talk to each other and generate trustworthy reports than you do on the fundamentals of your organization. What should you do if you find yourself in this situation? And the answer to that question is exactly what Casasa's Chief Financial Officer, Amy Gilliland Acosta, is here to talk about. She's an expert at whipping a jumbled mess of barely connected systems into a well-oiled machine. Buckle your seatbelt, especially if you're commuting, and discover how to get your back office engine hitting on all eight cylinders. We'll be joined by my co-host and Casasa's VP of Launch Operations, Jessica Webb. I hope you enjoy. I'm excited to get started. Amy Gilliland, Casasa's CFO, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today uh, about back office systems and how community banks and credit unions can use their back office systems to scale their operation, how to make that sustainable. I think this is going to be a good conversation. So without further ado, let's kind of jump in. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your experience with this topic and why it's so important. Sure. Thanks, Zach. So glad to be here. Um, let's see, I live in data. So I see data as a gold mine, right? It can help me uh, get the data that I need to run my business day to day, address the risks that come up and just provide an, an added insight to help me to help me work on the business rather than in the business, if that makes sense. So yeah. I'm loving all of the data that comes uh, across from the various sources, right? So you just have to be secure in the integrity of that data, the consistency, the standardization to the degree possible, just that you have a uniform set of rules to, you know, create this language. Sure, that makes sense. I mean, in, in my mind, that sounds like drinking from a fire hose, but maybe you have some ideas for how to, to, to make that flow manageable. Oh, absolutely. It can be overwhelming. I mean, data integrity is paramount, but it's trying to find a way to analyze the numbers to say what they mean. How can they help you run the business, right? Um, and I'm thinking all of the various management systems. You've got your data warehouses, your true nuts and bolts technology, MIS type systems. You've got risk and compliance. You've got your ledger. Um, you've got clearing systems and Forex sites and fees, commissions, you know, you name it, all these various systems, right? So it's a matter of identifying your processes, doing a full system mapping, however hard it is. It's ripping a band-aid. It's it's probably um, 
you know, how do you bite or how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? So just spell that out to get a visual representation helps you identify the critical stakeholders and, you know, which, which parts of the business use which parts of the data. Because oftentimes you'll find that those data and the systems are very siloed for different users, different groups of the bank, different stakeholders. And in order to get an end-to-end view um, and drive that consistency of information flow, you've just you've got to get it all out on paper. And whether that's a whiteboarding session, a I've been known to pull out a giant uh, roll of bitter paper and put it on a table or on a wall and just go to town with markers. It's you know it's up to interpretation as to how you approach that process, but that is absolutely step one. And as difficult as it sounds, it's it's somewhat therapeutic when you get to the end. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an interesting definition of therapy. Um, some of our listeners may be familiar with Jessica Webb. We uh, she recently made a transition from executive strategist over to leading our launch. Um, launch now i'm blanking on this LP. <laughs> launch project managers i'm over our i'm the vice president of launch operations now so tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you jessica because i think it plays into this conversation about back office systems um pretty intimately yeah it definitely does so what we do over on this side of the house uh um, is basically partner with all of the the banks and credit unions that come on board with us um and really help them get onboarded with the, the CASASA platform. That means that we're talking to their core. It means we may be talking to some of their, their back office systems, uh, making sure that we can actually get interaction with their data uh, to be able to give them the insights and actually power the accounts. It's been pretty fun for me because um, prior to joining CASASA as an executive strategist, I was the head of strategy for a community financial institution. And prior to that, I was in a finance group for one. And so to Amy's point, I've had the real opportunity to bring the perspective of getting past the what and into the why and the how. Um, That's what I always call it, because the data is the what. You got to get the quantity of the data, you know, that big whiteboard, the the butcher paper, all of the systems feeding together. And then you get to dig through that to find the why and the how. So that you can influence your business, so that you can scale your business, so that you can make your business um, more effective, more efficient, serve your clients better. And so that's been fun for me because I'm just getting started in that. I'm still in the what phase, but I'm really excited about the why and the how real soon. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm curious. So let's imagine that I'm running a pretty small scale community bank or credit union, and maybe I inherited the system from somebody else and I, I don't know where to start. So we've talked a little bit about data mapping. Let's say I map my data, but now I've got to figure out what, what's, where am I going to focus? Like, what am I going to optimize first now that I have an idea where my data is flowing? Sure. I'll start with that one. So in terms of those cross-functional stakeholders, it's, it's definitely making sure that everyone has an opportunity to voice their opinion and, help the the larger group, the broader organization, understand what data drivers they have to contribute from their inherent systems, if you will. So in general, there's going to be a finance and risk group that's going to have an opinion. There's going to be a compliance group. Um, There's going to be an operations, accounting, finance, technology kind of segment. And then you're going to have the line of business. And, you know, a retail head may care all about consumer data and know everything there is to know about that consumer data. But the CFO wants to know account data and account performance data. So 
they're related, but different, right? So Mm -hmm. I think just opening that dialogue is a great first step because you've got customer data, risk data, finance, treasury data, um, general ledger data, of course. And in order to aggregate that data and do anything with it, you've just got to first understand what data resides in what systems because you you can't get an end-to-end view of the importance and significance until you really understand the nuts and bolts of of what each data component is. Jessica, would you agree? Yeah, I, I really do. Um, I, I I agree with you because there are times that I think I know what I'm saying and it makes sense to me. My my version of the word makes sense. So launch or um, active or to your point, profitability. Well, am I talking profitability at account level? Am I talking about it at the consumer level? So I think you're right. Really getting in there and understanding just a common language, making sure your vocabulary is is common is super helpful too. It's such a foundational thing, but kind of starting at the beginning. <laughs> I think you're right. What's something that you see, and feel free, either of you can take this, but that, that you have seen organizations get distracted by, you know, are there shiny objects in this kind of back office system jungle that that people get focused on and it's really not that important. It just feels like it's important. Hmm. (laughs) I think I run into that every day, every day of my life. (laughs) I like bright, shiny objects, right? But sometimes you have to you have to investigate any and all data metrics, KPIs, growth percentages, attrition percentages, just because there might be there might be noise, right? And sometimes it's a it's a tough concept to have to go in and dig into something and then abandon it because because the data quality wasn't good in the first place or or mm-hmm. that you originally answered isn't isn't becoming readily apparent by the data. Um, I feel like I'm talking around the question, but. No, um, no, it's, I mean, it's okay. It was, it was a bit of a complicated question. I'm just assuming that it's one of those things. Like I know from my, when I'm working on a big project, sometimes I'm like, oh, that feels overwhelming. So, you know, give me something bright and shiny to focus on. And I assume that other people are, are susceptible to that same, you know, trap. Right. Oftentimes it can be process of elimination. Uh, right. You just gotta, you have to follow each thought that you have endpoint and then back up from there. If it doesn't work and try something else. And I think when you're trying to make sense and business decisions out of data, that's just par for the course, you know, you're going to stumble as much as you can. Um, I once heard someone say that, uh, running a business is like running a marathon while tying your shoes. (laughs) sometimes I feel that way sometimes I feel that way because you've just got to constantly reinvestigate recalibrate and you know go back to the drawing board on a regular basis but that's that's change that's growth um and sometimes just the process of elimination is the only way you get to the right answer that makes sense I I would agree I would say that you know it's it is easy to get laser focused on one, one metric, right. Or one way of looking at things to, to your point about shiny and to Amy's point about, you know, 
liking to have a place to work towards, but needing to recognize you may need a change. At the end of the day, you might not have picked the right metric to focus on. Cash flow is great, but it may not be the whole story. You know, uh, you know, looking five years into the future and having strategic plan for that time is awesome, but you still have to pay bills this month, right? So it's about finding that balance, I think, of what what you need to look at from a robust standpoint and not, you know, focusing in to a laser point on one particular definition of success. And it is so, so easy to do whatever the buzzword is that day, right? It's like, you know, you've got the cash flow bros as my business professor used to call them. And you've got somebody else talking about client satisfaction and you've got somebody else talking about user experience. And the reality is every single one of those is important, but not in a silo. And so if you're too busy focusing on how is the client, you know, profitable and you forget about the accounts that make it up, or you focus on the accounts and forget that those are actually held by real life people that have real robust financial relationships with you, it can be hard to, to not get distracted by a shiny. And the only way I've ever managed to overcome that is to surround myself with people that think about things from a different way than I do to make sure that they're bringing other perspectives. And the only other way I've ever been successful is to set up the right metrics. Because if you're thinking about a bunch of different metrics, it's hard to only focus on one. And so if you make yourself surrounded by a circle of good metrics, you can get to a place that's a little more diversified. And Amy, is that something you've seen either here or other places that you've kind of scaled businesses? 100% 100% diversity and thought is, is the only way that you can bring that outside perspective. Um, and I've been an outsider more times than I can count. Um, and sometimes I get just the side eye going, what the heck is going on over there? And other times, you know, they value the insight. It just depends. But, but I've always, always approached everything with, with the perspective of please challenge, challenge the theory, challenge the, the input and the, the rationale and the output, because without, without that questioning attitude, it's really hard to drive forward progress and, you know, consider, consider the alternatives. Hey, we're going to take a short break to tell you about something that we've been working on and we are pretty excited about. I've got a three-year-old son and he loves Cheerios. Much to his dismay, We keep the box of Cheerios on the top of the refrigerator, safely out of his reach. Actually, we keep cookies and other treats on top of the fridge as well. It drives him crazy. You can see that smorgasbord of yummy snacks, but he can't get to them. In the business world, it often feels like everybody is keeping their best information out of your reach. On the top of the fridge, so to speak, or behind an info capture page. Well. Here at Kasasa, we're making a change. We're putting some of our best intelligence and analysis within reach for any community financial institution, whether you partner with us or not. It's called the Kasasa Exchange, and every couple of months we release a new trove of infographics, blog posts, podcasts, and videos. It's all free, and we won't ask for your email, phone number, home address, or kindergarten teacher's name. Anyway, point being, It's all right there in the open for you to enjoy. Check it out today at www.kasasa.com backslash exchange and look for a link in the show notes. Actually, 
what you're saying kind of feeds into my next question, which is if we if we continue with this, you know, a little bit of a fantasy that like I am the leader of a community bank or credit union, we're having this conversation and I realize that this sounds like a full time job for somebody, but I already have a full time job. <laughs> I'm leading a community bank. Um do I hire a consultant for this or is is there a, a position within my organization that might be a good candidate to take this over as, and, and, you know, lead the charge? How would you kind of staff a project like this? I think definitely you've got to have someone to spearhead the effort and to own the process. Um, whether or not that is, you know, someone who's already in existence at the company who has knowledge of of most of the systems and really is a critical thinker um, and is, you know, capable of looking at that end to end big picture view or hiring a consultant. Either way, it's, it's got to be a critical focus for someone. Um, I mean, if you are a large enough institution and have, you know, the ability to go out and hire a, uh, I'm going to call it a chief data officer. You could, you can do that certainly. Um, but the strategic responsibility of looking at all of those systems is going to, you know, include data governance. It's got data quality, system architecture, analytics. So there's got to be somewhat of a technical component there. And sometimes I would imagine that's a bit of a unicorn skill set. So, you know, a consultant might be the route if if companies really don't have the access to to have a full time position. But you know, but I don't think it takes an expert to start that mapping process. Um, I think that person can definitely help tailor it and, you know, bring some, some structure to the process, but I wouldn't hold off on starting that just, just because you don't have, you know, the, the full expertise in house. Seems like a good I, piece of advice. You can go ahead, Jessica. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, I think even if you do hire a consultant, just like hiring a, a lawyer or, or anything else where you're going to have somebody come in and help you solve a problem. Um, the better questions you can ask going in, the better plan you have around what you'd like to see as a, a utopia at the end, I think the better off you'll be. And, and you might have to hire someone to do it. You might um, have, be able to, as, as Amy said, maybe you got a unicorn sitting in your office and you don't even know it. Uh, but if you don't, then at least having somebody who is pretty good at coming in and answering questions or at least saying, hey... I, I've always wished I could know this about our business, or I've always wished I could know that about our business. Giving them a place to to work towards, I think, is helpful because then you're you're what is it Yogi Berra said? If you don't know where you're going, you'll definitely get somewhere. Well, <laughs> let's pick the somewhere, or at least the the right as you know the right target for that. I would like to know how profitable I am and who's driving the most of that. I would like. Um, I'm sure Amy has a wish list of things that she could know here at Casasso or other places she's worked. For me at my old role, it was, I wish I could know how much people are actually using all of these products that, um, that they, that they have with us. I would really love to know who's actually engaging or who's just sitting on our books, taking up digital space, right? Um, can I go and engage them? So if you have a wish list of what you'd like to see, and and how it would make your life better, not just I wish I could have this because it's super, it's a it's a buzzword or it's cool, but I could see this making my life better because I would change the outcomes that I'm looking for in this way. I think that's incredibly valuable, and it lets you be more efficient with your your company's dollars. Consultants 
most consultants aren't cheap. They're probably not the right ones if they are. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you pay you pay for value. At least that's that's been my experience in life. Yes, uh, never you know, go and get discount <laughs> exactly. But, but I would imagine in every organization, you've got kind of that out of the box thinker. You've got somebody that really just exudes intellectual curiosity. I know I know, I, I can think of a couple on my team right now who are just constantly, you mention a new idea or a harebrained scheme and they're on it. Their brain is already 50 yards ahead. So you need to be looking for that type of person and, and maybe bringing them into the task force in for sure. some capacity. Relentless curiosity is something that I think is the most undervalued not thing thing you can almost never put on your resume, right? Like it's hard to to quantify that, but relentless curiosity is incredibly valuable. This is interesting to me. I mean, I'm excited to be talking about this. One of of the recent episodes we did with John Wapp, she was making the case that this data, like wrapping your arms around your data is not an optional thing for banks and credit unions to do. It's not like a, oh, we can do this next year or, you know, maybe later when it becomes a little more, you know, we've got less on our plate or something like that. Who's making the case that like, this is, this will make or break your organization, you know, maybe even in the next five years, you know, whether or not you can get on top of this, this data trove that's in your organization. Um, so it seems like this is a highly relevant topic for people. I mean, I, and I can't even really imagine. I appreciate, you know, Amy, you talking about all the various systems and how those are going to, you know, hook into each other. Because, you know, in my experience, I've been through a couple system integrations, but there was something like a marketing automation platform. And that was just one integration. And it was our primary tool. And, and it was relatively easy for us to, you know, throw our weight behind it and get the thing done. You know, I can't imagine trying to, move multiple integrations or or to map all of that and make sure that it works. What are some keys to having that process go successfully once you've started, you've mapped, so you've mapped your data, you know how it flows. Now you've picked a system that, and you know, you're going to integrate a new system. So how do you set that process up for success? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think in general, a lot of a lot of companies find themselves in a position where, you know, the original plans maybe were to replace the the tactical individual siloed solutions with a long term strategic, um, you know, end to end change program. And I think just there's budget constraints, there's competing priorities, there's changing regulations, there's always an excuse if you look for it, right? But, you know, building the business case to John Wapsh's point, it's not an option anymore. We really, I mean, the, the financial crisis highlighted the weakness of data programs at, at financial institutions. And it's not a doom and gloom scenario. It's just absorb absorb in your organization the, the need, the need to go look at that data because, um, you know, the, the outputs, the outputs are so meaningful and critical to running, running the business and really understanding the underlying dynamics and risk profile of your organization. And so I, I think you just, you have to, you have to approach it with an open mindset, knowing that you're, if you wait and delay too long, I mean, the, the repercussions are, are far. Those are doom and gloom. But if you wait too right. <laughs> I mean, I think Amy's right. You and and I think John was right a couple of weeks ago. Nobody has your data. Nobody can tell you what 
I mean, unless you work with a partner to, to interpret your data with them for you, but your data is your data and it tells your story. And if you don't even know your story, how can you change it? And so really taking the time to wrap your arms around it, know your data and get past the what and into the why and the how the data is and how it can influence your business going forward is awesome because otherwise you're just driving your car in the dark and every data point you can turn on is a light. And that's incredibly valuable. Make sure you're going the right direction. Make sure you're not going in circles and make sure you're doing all the things that you really want to do when you set out and look at your charter and you set your strategic plan. Otherwise you're just hoping and driving your car in the dark. And so to me, one is just getting your arms around it. And two, anytime you talk to, to anytime you're going through these projects, the way that I find them being most successful is to put kind of goal posts out there that we drive for, towards, not to use too many football analogies, but what was our goal when we started this process? What is our goal now? How are we working towards it? Always working towards those central tenants and not getting distracted to your point about earlier about whatever the next shiny is. Oh, hey, we could also pull this and or we could also pull that and or we could also do these things. You probably could. But is it actually getting you closer to the goal you set out for? Was that other goal even a part of your perspective? It's like when you're shopping for a house, you have that list of 10 things that you really, really want for your house so that you don't end up buying a tree house because it seems really cool today. And then you have to haul home groceries tomorrow, right? Um, keeping the end in mind, always working towards that and using your data to your benefit because it, nobody else is going to be able to ever tell your story if you don't use, if you don't tell yourself. Yeah. And it may be a cultural change, right? Getting the buy-in from the various lines of business, it may not be easy, right? It may take a type of personality that can really, um, you know, get a groundswell of support and understanding, but you're going to have to have discipline and, and stick to it. And you're going to want to get distracted. You're going to want to give up probably more times than once, but, you know, perseverance is, is going to be the way through. Well, and, uh, when we talked about this, Amy, a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned something about limiting customization uh, as a way to minimize your risk. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because it seems it seems like that could even be a shiny object, right? If and Jessica, you were saying, you know, you pick some metrics and 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 start looking at those things. Uh, it, you know, customization. So it's easy to get caught up in that uh, because not only the bright shiny object, but just your mind can jump to, and if I had this, I could do this. And if I had that and that, oh, I could change the world. <laughs> so it's very when you're when you're going in to go look at, you know, purchasing or creating a tool um, to bolt on, right? So some sometimes systems are on a platform basis where they can roll out certain modules that are all kind of under the hood together. And other times it's bolting on solutions. And if you're not careful, you've created a Frankenstein right? Which it's not insurmountable, but it just creates challenges. And when you implement, I kind of go to the Pareto rule of 80-20 and say, I don't really like my teams to, to customize more than about 20% because then I've gone, I've gone far past the out-of-the-box functionality and I've customized it to agree that I'm to a degree that I'm going to have to maintain that. Um, it may impact some of the, the canned reports that are available in that system. It may impact um, you know, the data fields, the reporting, you know, it just, it may not be worth, the end may not justify the means. And so kind of trying to pay particular attention to the degree of customization 
is going to be a critical piece. Now, sometimes if you're doing this after the fact and you have that Frankenstein, it's not going to be as easy for you to unwind that, but knowing about it and identifying which pieces and functionalities you have taken out of the box versus customized, I think is a, is a helpful delineation to make or to know. Yeah, it sounds like it. So just to, to recap a little bit. So first, if you're you know looking at your back office systems and you're wanting to scale, it sounds like the first thing you need to do is, is map your data, know where it's flowing, right? Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, getting people on board, getting buy-in from your team. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, creating kind of a task force, you know, getting the right people who can help be really curious about this process and open it up. Um, limiting customization. What are some other things that you would throw on that list of, you know, at least concepts that people should be thinking about as they try to scale their back office systems? I think a topic that we touched on kind of earlier in the conversation was around standardization of definitions. And I think that's going to be critical to understand, um, you know, just so that everyone's speaking a common language across the various systems. And I can tell you, I am, I know enough technology to be dangerous, but I'm by no means an expert. And uh, acronyms start flying, particularly in the regulation, and people start talking about FRI this and FFIEC. And I get nervous, I'll be honest with you, because I don't speak that language. So, you know, just breaking it down, unpacking all of those definitions, I think is, is another step that's just helpful so that everyone speaks that common language. Good. That does sound valuable. I mean, as a writer, right, that's my daily job. I feel like I'm constantly trying to find that middle ground of like, how can I, how can I relate something to other people in a language that they'll understand? And can certainly imagine how critical that would be for, you know, big undertaking like this. Yeah. Like a glossary of terms. I know it sounds silly, but even just a glossary of terms would be, you know, really valuable. Like, what does this mean? You know, everybody talks about certain things like FFIEC. Like everybody knows what it means. And it can be awkward to raise your hand and say, hey, can we use all the words and then we'll shorten them back down? You know, um, so re respecting that each of you brings a perspective and a set of knowledge, but it's not all the same is, to Amy's point, really valuable because you, you do want to make sure you're actually having the right conversation. Yeah. Well, I want to be really respectful of your time. Um, I think this has been good, uh, but I also like to open it up. I always like to do this thing when I'm interviewing people that I call like carte blanche. Like, is there anything that you feel like you want to say to community bank and credit union leaders that maybe isn't getting enough attention, you know, in, in the industry, you know, what the, whatever the, whatever the conversation of the day is, is there something that you feel like is, is kind of underrated or, under-focused on? I think in my conversations, I mean, they're, they're pretty much limited to the CFO and CEOs of the bank. And, you know, when I talk with them, I see, I see that there's not as much value in innovation as, as I hoped there was. I think it's improving, but I just encourage all of these credit unions to, you know, embrace the change, be bold. Um, you know, if you have a different environment, a different product, a different consumer, perhaps, but there's always a place for, you know, continual improvement, right? And when we look at all the various channels that are out there, whether it's your 
you know, your brand, your branch office, um, you know, your website, your mobile app, if you have that, you know, your brand is an extension of you and your culture and your message. And, you know, we just, we want to help you guys be the best that you can be. And part of that is embracing innovation and change and process. So, you know, we're all there. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been great. I look forward to future conversations about this. It's a big topic. I don't think we're done uh, unpacking it for, you know, the, the people out there who are working to, you know, secure the future of their, their community bank or their credit union. Um, I think we have a lot of brain power in this organization to just, you know, help give, you know, share from our experience. So I'm excited to keep doing that. And I'm really excited about uh, what we covered in this episode. So thank you again, Amy and Jessica for your time. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this is, this is going to be a great addition to uh, the next episode of exchange, I think is what we're, we're putting this in. So great. Thank you. Here's the bottom line. If you want to build a strong future for your community bank or credit union, if you want to adopt the latest innovations, if you want to give consumers a reason to choose you instead of the competition, you need to spend less time working to make your business run and more time working to make your business run faster and better. In order to do that, you need to make sure your data and back office foundation is transparent, well-mapped, and primed for adaptation. That's all for this episode of Thinking Outside the Vault a podcast produced and distributed by Kasasa. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leave a review. This helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at kasasa.com.